Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, I wanted to get through that as quick as possible because we got quite a bit of text to handle. Y'all know I like long passages for some reason. Uh, Today we're in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48, as we continue our time in the series, Be the Church. And it reads, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity, uh, a charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lounging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to him, he said to, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to the went up to pray on the household uh, on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and an object that resembled a large sheet came coming down. Being lowered by its four corners to the earth, in in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, and kill it, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, the second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lounging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, there are men out here, are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, 
an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was divinely directed by, the, by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lounging. The next day he got up and set out with them and, uh, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with them, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person unpure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I may ask why you sent for me. So may I ask, why have you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Then a man in dazzling, in dazzling clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lounging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you, and it was good for you of you to come. So now we are in the presence of God to hear everything you have commanded, been commanded by the Lord. Peter began to speak. Now truly I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the messages, the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee and the baptism that John preached, how God anointed uh, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with them. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean, Judean uh, country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. 
Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for our time. Father, I welcome you into this broken vessel. My heart is, is, my heart is empty and with my issues are wrestled, mind twisted like a pretzel. My heart is so deceitful. My thoughts contain so much evil. Forgive me for times when I act like I don't need you, but still you stay so faithful. Even when I'm ungrateful with these lips, I praise you. And with these same lips, I betray you. Feeling like Peter three times before the rooster crow, say I love you, but when I sin, I'm quick to let you go. But yet you kept me close. You're the realest love I know. In our relationship, you never have to brag or boast about who loves who most because you prove your case when you put your only begotten son on the post. Still, you kept me close. You're the realest love I know. In our relationship, you never have to brag or boast about who loves who most because you prove your case when you put your only begotten son on that post. Father, that is the truth of who you are, the God who loved us most. You saw us when we were far from you, yet you came near. You loved us when we were unlovable. You saw us when we were the unseen, the broken, and you made us whole. Father, I am both excited about your word and grieved about our hearts towards people that we don't see people the way you see people, that we don't pursue people the way you pursue people. But Father, I pray today through the preaching of your word that you would convict us to our hearts to move close, to pursue as we have been pursued, to love as we have been loved, to care for others as we have been cared for by you. Father, I pray that your word stands strong today, that you would meet us here, that your Holy Spirit would ascend like it ascended on those people that day. And that we would be witnesses of your truth, of your grace, of the mighty of your the mighty name of your hands. So, Father, meet us here. Be with us today. See your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is called The Good News for the Untouchables. Um, There's an article written um, by Isabel Wilkerson from The Guardian. It's called Americans Untouchables, the Silent Power of the Caste System. And it starts this way. In the winter of 1959, after leading the Montgomery bus boycott that, uh, that arose from the arrest of Rosa Parks before the trials and triumphs to come, Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife Coretta landed in India at Pelham Airport in New Delhi uh, to visit the land of Gandhi, the father of nonviolent protests. They were covered in garlands upon arrival, and King told reporters to, to other countries, I may go as a tourist, but to India, I come as a pilgrim. He had long dreamed of going to India, and they stayed for an entire month. King wanted to see for himself the place whose fight for freedom from British rule had inspired his fight for justice in America. He wanted to see the so-called untouchables. 
the lowest caste in the ancient Indian caste system whom, had, whom he had read about and had sympathy for, but who had still been left behind after India gained its independence the decade before. He discovered that people in India had been following the trials of his oppressed people in the U.S. and knew of the bus boycott he had led. Wherever he went, the people on the streets of Bombay and Delhi uh, crowded around him for an autograph. At one point in the trip, King and his wife journeyed to the southern tip of the country, uh, to the city of Trivandrum, the state of Keldra, and visited with high school students whose families had been untouchables. The principal made the introduction. Young people. He said, I would like to present to you a fellow untouchable from the United States of America. See, Dr. King was both surprised and somewhat confused. He came to India and was celebrated, treated with the utmost respect, mostly almost like royalty because of how his name has spread worldwide. Yet still in the USA, he was considered an untouchable. He learned something during that visit that I hope we all learn today. The truth is we're all untouchables based on someone's perspective. And we have all the bias that makes someone else untouchables. But in the kingdom of God, there are no untouchables. Today in our text, we are introduced to someone who would be considered an untouchable during that day almost an unredeemable person. Yet we see how Jesus is tearing down the walls of Peter's perspective that day and how he's going to tear down the walls of our perspective and show that he is one who desires all people for himself. Starting off in verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 10, we're introduced to this man named um, Cornelius. And they said they were in Caesarea, and there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what they call the Italian regiment. A centurion at that time was a man who was kind of over a, a, a legion of an army of about 100 people for the Roma, Roman government. Now, him himself, he probably wasn't Italian, but it was just the fact that he was from the Roman government, and they kind of associated with those groups of people. They called him, they said he was over an uh, Italian regiment. But there was an interesting thing about the centurion Cornelius. He was a devoted man and feared God. Along with his whole household, he did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. The language is using here is actually he's almost on the cusp of being something called a proselyte. A proselyte is someone who uh, becomes a Jew, not through ethnicity, but through circumstance, circumcision so he could go and worship in the temple. This man himself was pursuing God, but had not had made the full commitment to be a part of the Jewish customs. This isn't the first time we're actually introduced to a centurion. The first time we were introduced to a centurion was also another writing in the book of Luke. In the gospel of Luke, uh, we have a centurion who comes to find Jesus because his servant's been gotten sick. And read how this story kind of plays out. It says it was a centurion servant. This is the gospel of Luke chapter 7, 
verses 2 through 9. It was a centurion servant who was highly valued by him, um, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with earnestly, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to, because he loves our nation and has built up a synagogue. Sounds very it sounds very similar, right? Here's another man who loves the Jews and treats the Jews well. He has a great reputation. So listen to what happened when Jesus was following, going to him. He says, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say this to you, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and they come, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. So we see a man who at this time, who was faithful, he was faithful, he cared for Jews, he helped build up their synagogue, but at that time he still deemed himself unworthy of the hands of God that was on Jesus to heal. He said, you don't don't even got to come in my house, so I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not one of your people. Just say the word. And listen to Jesus' response. says, Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I've found not, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. This is one of those few times that Jesus was actually astonished by somebody's faith. Here is a man who didn't worship. He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't welcome into the temple. He was considered a a Gentile, so he was considered unclean. Yet his faith and longing for God made Jesus say, wow. It's like he gets it or something. Like he gets that I'm the God that comes for everyone. That's the same type of person we're about to run into today. And the way we're introduced to him is, funny enough, he was following Jewish customs. He was praying. Starting off in verse 3, starting going back to our text in verse 3, it says, about in 3 in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Now, he's probably never seen an angel or been spoken to in this way from something of divine nature. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as memorial before God. The language is using here is very similar to Old Testament language. Uh, I'm not sure if all of you have read the whole Bible. A lot of times when you're reading through the whole Bible, the two books you get stuck at is Numbers and Leviticus. But it's actually important to know why Leviticus is so important because the language he's using here is the same language they use in Leviticus when it talks about making an offering and bringing a sacrifice to the priest to make an offering on your behalf. So in Leviticus 2 verses 1 through 2, don't worry, I'm not going to read Leviticus. 
It says that you would make an offering, plea, and it would make a, and you would make an offering to the to the priest, and they would sacrifice on your behalf and burn it, and it would make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The type of way this man lived and worshipped, even though he wasn't God's people, a person, and one of God's people yet, he worshipped God in such a way that he worshipped like he really believed. He really believed in this God. He wasn't invited to the temple. He wasn't welcome to know these things, but he worshiped this God. He pursued this God before knowing him. And here's the beauty about God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. But when you draw near to him, listen to how that rest of that verse goes. He says that he rewards those who seek him, which means as you try to draw near to him and get to know him, he comes to you. He's not a God that says you have to work to earn by faith. You don't have to work to earn salvation. No, no, no. If you're just willing to receive it, I'll come to you. This man at that moment was willing to receive this God, even though he didn't know this God yet. And it's interesting that the rest of this passage goes on to talk about unclean food and unclean, uh, unclean people because, because since he was devoted and cared for Jewish people and, and loved them well, he also knew their dietary rules, which means he would never welcome them to the table to eat something that would be against their, 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 their religion, against their culture. He was like, I would never make you eat something that you consider unclean. But let's keep going on the text. Let's keep going to find out what's going on in the story. This man had been pursuing God, and because he was pursuing God, God came to him. God was preparing a way for him to know the truth of who he was. So after the angels had left, uh, he told, before the angel left, he told him, hey, go to Joppa and go find my boy Peter. Now, his name is Simon, and he's also at a dude named Simon House. But you'll know the difference because this Simon is Simon the leather tanner, and I'm telling you to go find Simon Peter. He wanted to differentiate to make sure they knew who they were looking for. And he's lodging with Simon a, tan, a, Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. So when the angels left, he brought some of his most faithful servants, other men and possibly women who saw him's lifestyle and knew the God that he's pursuing. We're about to meet. They also believed they were considered faithful. The way they're talking about him in this text is they actually believe in this God also, even though they might not be one of his people yet. So he explained to him and he sent him to Joppa. Joppa, if y'all remember, is about, uh, it was 11 miles from, uh, it was 11 miles from Lada last week. Well, now he's about to send servants 31 miles from Caesarea to Joppa, which is about a day and a half's travel. So they're going a day and a half. And now while they're on their way to find Peter, God is setting something up for Peter to understand also. Let's jump down to nine, verses 9 through 15. It says, The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. 
And he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open up and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, no, Lord, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. We're going to pause right there because I don't know if y'all remember where we left off where Peter was last week. Okay, for those who weren't there, he's uh, who weren't here. He's at Simon the leather tanner's house, which means the house he's staying in. He's literally unclean at this moment. He's literally considered ritually unclean because it's dead animals all around. If you look at Leviticus chapter five, verse two, this is why it's important to know Leviticus. Uh, it says. Or if someone touches anything unclean, a carcass of an unclean wild animal or unclean livestock or an unclean swarming creature, without being aware of it, he is unclean and incurs guilt. At this moment, Peter's literally in a house that he knows makes him unclean, ceremonially unclean. So when the Lord comes to him and says, Get up and eat. He said, no, I ain't never did nothing to make me unclean now. It's like, yes, you have. Yes, you have. But the Lord was literally putting him to test him and to show him something. So again, a second time, the voice came to him and said, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And this happened three times. And suddenly the objects was taken up into heaven. Now, if you are familiar with Peter's story, I wonder if this sounds familiar. Uh, This is the same Peter who has denied Jesus three times before. The same Jesus on the day of his betrayal, when he told Peter, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crow twice. And he did. But this is the same Peter who was redeemed by the Lord three times. When the Lord came to him and said, feed my sheep, do you love me? Feed my sheep, do you love me? Feed my lamb. So this is the same Peter who has been, who has denied the Lord three times and who has been redeemed by the Lord three times. And here we go, a scenario again, where three times Peter said, no, God. And God saying, what I make clean is clean. What I have redeemed is redeemed. At this moment, this Peter, something should be registering in Peter's mind. Like, wait a minute. We've been here before. We've done this before because I personally have been unclean before. Yet, this God has redeemed me before. So he is trying to get me to understand something. So remember the, the animals and all the, the things that he's telling him to eat for later on. Because we're going to touch back on that, but let's continue on to verses 17 through 23. And this time the servants come and we hear the testimony of the centurions from the, of the centurion from his service while they were, while Peter was walking around perplexed and not knowing what the vision had uh, meant. These men came and said, where's Peter? 
Where's Peter? And they directed him how to get to the house that he was staying in. And while Peter's still up there, like, I don't know what's going on. God said, don't worry. There's men looking for you. There are three men here looking for you. Go downstairs and go with them. With no doubt at all, because I've sent them. So obviously at this moment, Peter understands something's taking place. The Lord has redeemed these unclean animals three times, like he's been redeemed three times. Now, three men are showing up and he's saying, go down there. I've sent these three men for you. And they tell the testimony of, hey, we know a good dude who really loves the Lord. And the Lord came to him in a vision and he's saying, we need to come get you. So we're coming to find you. And at that moment, Peter's like, okay, there's something taking place. There is something taking place that I need to pay attention to. And at that moment, when Peter says, okay, the gospel left Joppa to go to the unclean men at Caesarea. The gospel left that location to go to the ones that would be considered unclean because he said, okay. Because he trusted. Family, let me pause right here. You understand everything we're doing as we're planting this church is literally just saying, okay, God, I will go to the untouchables. I will go to the ones that everybody else wants to look past. I was, I was laughing as I was prepping this this week because I was looking at church websites. We're trying to build our website. And I realized there's a marketing tool that churches use. And it's not just churches, but everyone uses it. We never get pictures of people who look unclean, un, uh, look dirty, you know, like they're in rough parts of life. We, make, we get pictures of families and just pictures that make people look wholesome. And the truth is, that says something. That means the gospel isn't for the unclean. It's just for the people that look like the people in these pictures. It's marketed to the ones we deem worthy. But this text is tearing that down, saying, no, there are those who long for the Lord, that want to see the Lord move. They want to see God. There are some people praying, and they don't even know who Jesus is yet. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's saying, hey, I just need you to say, okay, I'll go to those people. I will go to the ones considered unworthy, unlovable, unredeemable, because we were unredeemable. Yet we've been redeemed. That's what's happening right now as Peter basically gets packed and said, all right, I'm going to follow the boys back to, back, to, uh, back to Caesarea. So the following day, they entered Caesarea. And now Cornelius was expecting and, and expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. All of a sudden, as the gospel comes in, they get excited. Like, wait a minute. The thing I told you is coming. It's come. Bring in everybody. They all got to hear this. And when he entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I, must, I myself am also a man. I think we can learn something from that right now. Because as I said, there's untouchables that we won't really take the gospel to. There, if you actually pay attention to who you're more prone to tell people about Jesus, there's usually levels. It's people usually beneath you. You know, we're, we're happy to go on mission trips to the poor neighborhoods. But what about the more prosperous neighborhoods? They need Jesus too. 
But you don't see us talk about we're going on uh, mission trips to go hang around with Starbucks's or where these prosperous neighborhoods because they're okay. We deem these rich people as untouchable. Or let's flip it around. We do deem some un, uh, some poor people as untouchable. We say they're dirty, they're nasty, they, they look like they're strung out on drugs. I want nothing to do with them. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, it might be the Republican who's super conservative, hard right Republican. You know, Donald Trump is his superhero. You'd be like, nah, he don't need the gospel. There's a special place. Have you, have you ever heard somebody say that there's a special place in hell? Like, you understand there's a special place in hell for all of us if that's the case. Because all of us are unredeemable. All of us are considered the untouchable. Maybe it's not the Republican. Maybe it's the extreme left. Maybe it's not the extreme left. Maybe it's the LGBT. Maybe it's not the LGBT. Maybe it's heterosexual white males. I don't know, but who's your untouchable? We expect them to do exactly what Cornelius did when he come, when we walk in a room, fall at our feet. But Peter says, I myself am also a man. Get up. I I. I don't deserve worship. Trust me, I'm no better off than you. While talking with him, he went in and and he found a large gathering of people because Cornelius brought all these people to hear the good news. And then Peter said, you know, I ain't supposed to be here. You know, it's forbidden for Jewish men to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Remember that picture of this food coming down from heaven that was all these different animals, and he was like, I don't touch it, that's unclean. What God was trying to show Peter at that moment is actually food during that time was considered a welcoming to the table, almost this place of community. Around the table is where community is felt. So whatever you wouldn't eat means you didn't associate with people who did eat that. You know, I've never eaten fish eyes. But in Thailand, fish eyes is a big delicacy. And if I was to come and sit at their table and they were to bring a fish head with fish eyes before me and I was and I turned it away, I'm actually rejecting them before them. I'm being disrespectful before them. But what God was showing Peter at that moment and what he's trying to show us at this time is don't turn these people away. Actually welcome them. Sit at the table with them. Have community with them. Break bread with them. Get to know them. And as you get to know them, you get an opportunity to do what Peter does with Cornelius and all these people in a moment. There is no such thing as unclean people. Hear that. There is no such thing as unclean people or unpure people or unredeemable people. If there is in your categories, if you have a category that says, ah, unsavable, unredeemable, unclean, God is going to tear those things down because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve the grace that has been given to us. So he was like, go, break bread. There's no one too far gone. There's no one too unclean to be in community with, to get to know personally. Let's continue on. Cornelius Replays the story of what happened in the beginning four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon. I was praying at my house and an angel showed up. 
told me that he saw me, that God saw me. And therefore, send someone to Joppa to come and tell me about him. And now here you are, Peter. Tell me. Tell me who is this God that came and saw me in my dark place? Who saw me when I was unseeable by everyone else? Now, that moment, that's like I said, I think that's when Peter realizes, he even says it. He says, God really doesn't show any favoritism. He doesn't show favorites. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. He says, for there is no favoritism with God. For we all who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. God is going to judge all of us, which means all of us he's extended grace to. All who will receive. And Peter went on to say, to start proclaiming. He said, well, praise God you came to find me. Let me tell you about Jesus, the Israelite that came, the good news who has come to us, who has come and he did all these miraculous things. You've heard these testimonies. You've heard of the events that took place. He said, you know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning after from Galilee, after the baptism of John. The word is getting out. They have heard these things. But they didn't hear that it was for them. Church, when we were prayer walking, it was something I noticed. A lot of people have heard about Jesus. They even, it was a couple of people like, look, we'll pray for you. But have they heard about the Jesus that actually came for them, that sees them, who is willing to deliver them from where they are at that moment? Do they know the transformational Jesus or do they just know about a Jesus who gives them fire insurance? We are called to present this Jesus who transforms all people in this city, in this neighborhood. And he does the work. It literally says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down. Peter didn't tell them repent. I mean, don't get me wrong. We should tell people repent and change. But the Holy Spirit came while he was just preaching, while he was talking. And all were amazed. The circumcised believers who came with Peter, that moment they're like, wait a minute. This gospel isn't just for us. It isn't just for the ones who are ceremonially clean that can go to the synagogue, but it's for the pagan. Church, that should give us hope to say this gospel isn't just for the good people in this room, but for the drug addict, for the drunk, for the lesbian, for the homosexual, for the Republican, for the Democrat. This gospel is for all of us. I think the best way to kind of start landing this plane is in the words of the truth. A well-known Christian rapper when he says, I guess the moral of the story is Jesus Christ came for the notorious and the saint grace for the less glorious and the fame. Understand where the glory is. It's in his name. It's in his name where that grace is found. It is through him that lives are transformed. Why are we so afraid to touch people? to speak this truth to people. He is the one who's literally changing everything. There is no untouchables. There is no untouchables in the kingdom of God because he is the one who is able to touch the leper and make them clean. 
who is able to touch the blind and give them sight, who is able to help the lame start to walk. There is no untouchables. There is no less than in the kingdom of God. And as his people, we must live as though all people, all people are welcomed. So I land a plane here. You know, I'd like to leave you with a sticky note, something to think about for the rest of the week. Hopefully, this is something that will stick in your mind. Only in Christ can we, the untouchables, become family. You see, we were untouchable. We were unredeemable. We were broken in our sins. We were separated from a holy God, and he came and made us family. He didn't leave us in the state we were in. And he came and cleaned us up. And he's coming. He's still coming to clean up messes like you and me. The way he did that is his perfect son who lived the perfect life that none of us could live. He came. He lived holy before God, worshiping God like we were supposed to in the beginning. He lived, died an unrighteous judgment, getting all of our sins, literally all of our sins, acquitted to him, buried after dying on the cross. But because our God is such a righteous judge, he is such a perfect and holy God, he cannot allow someone holy to stay dead, but there's only one holy, God himself. God got out the grave and our sins stayed in the grave. This is the Christ who has came to make the untouchables family. This is the Christ we get to go and declare to our community. There is no untouchable. There's nobody who's off limits to him. He walks through our neighborhood and says, mine, mine, mine. As his people, will we live as though this city is his? Maybe you don't know him yet. Maybe you still feel like you're untouchable. Well, today he says, you can be mine and I can be yours. Would you receive him today? you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you have not called us off limits, but yet you called us holy. You've made us holy. You've wrapped us in your righteousness. Father, I pray that we walk out of this place knowing that all can be wrapped in that righteousness, that we go forth and declare your word as Peter went to Cornelius and all that was in the centurion's household. I say all are his, that he's calling all people to himself and that we would speak boldly so that you would draw man to yourself. Father, I pray that the preaching of your word has landed today. Don't hold the people in contempt for the frailty of your manservant, but Father, speak to them today, speak to their hearts today and let your word bear fruit. We lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. We're actually about to go into one more moment of prayer. As I was praying, I remembered. Uh, we're actually going to have a prayer from one of our members. Vimy is going to come and pray over us, pray that the word has saturated. And it's great to continue our time in prayer. So please. Join me in prayer. Yeah, Father, as I, as I, heard you asking me to come uh, intercede for our family. 
wasn't sure why, and I see you at work. I hear you at work. God, I pray. I pray for our family, Lord. I I, I sense um, the Spirit even saying, man, are there places in our lives that still feel untouchable? Um, and this family's lives that feel lost, that feel broken, that feel like there's no hope, there's no way out, there's no freedom, there's no joy. Um, Jesus, I pray that you would look each one of our family members, the ones that are here and the ones that aren't, in the eye and say, nothing, nothing is left without my embrace. I embrace you fully and wholly. Uh, And I'm going to get rid of all that stuff. Don't worry, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to call it clean. But I embrace you. And yeah, Lord, I pray that for this family. God, I pray that we would not live in the sin and the fear of what we were, but that, yeah, even as Peter might have been reminded as he sat there and heard and saw the angel speaking um, of how you called him clean, that we would experience the same freedom, joy, embrace from you. And as we go to our community, we wouldn't go as uh, people who were in hiding or in, in fear and hopelessness and sorrow ourselves, but that do believe one day we will feast in the house of Zion fully, unreservedly, unashamedly, there will be nothing left in hiding and nothing left in the darkness and nothing left in the grave. Um, Jesus, we will we will experience your embrace fully and surely. And yeah, Lord, will we invite the city into that with us? We love you. Amen.